you can see on the screen, we are going to have a sermon this morning entitled, The Road Not Taken. If you would, grab a Bible and turn to Matthew, the seventh chapter. We'll take our text from Matthew, the seventh chapter, starting in the 13th verse this morning. Matthew 7, starting in the 13th verse. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few be there that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come into you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which buildeth his house upon the rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. 2,000 years ago, a large crowd of people had gathered to hear this Galilean carpenter. This man had been healing people, he'd been pouring miracles, and he had begun to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this crowd wanted to see and touch this man that they had heard about. They wanted to hear what he had to say. So they gather on this hill on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus sees this crowd that had been gathered, and he begins to preach the most famous sermon that has ever been taught. A sermon that revealed what was expected of the citizens of the coming kingdom. A sermon that showed what it meant to be a disciple of Christ. A sermon that explained what it meant to follow Jesus and to live the life of a child of God. And over the course of this sermon that Jesus taught, we see him explain so many different things about life in the kingdom. You see Jesus explain the blessed life available to the citizens of the kingdom during the Beatitudes in the first half of chapter 5. Jesus teaches us about the the difference between superficial religion that the Pharisees had and the righteousness of his disciples. 
in the second half of chapter 5. Jesus explains the, the importance of motives and why we do the things that we do in the first half of chapter 6. He, he talks about the, the importance of a pure and godly heart in the second half of chapter 6. And in the first half of chapter 7, we learn about the importance of fixing our spiritual vision that we talked about last time that I spoke And as we get into the latter half of chapter 7, which we read just a moment ago, Jesus reaches the climax, he reaches the conclusion of this sermon. And he begins to talk about this idea of the road not taken. You might recognize that title if you paid attention in high school English class. There was a poem with that same title by the name by the name by a man by the name of Robert Frost. And in that poem, Frost says, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to hear it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for the passing there had warned them really about the same, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Frost describes a man that's traveling down the road and comes to a fork in the road, and he's forced at that point to make a choice. Which way is he going to take? Which way is he going to go? He can't go both ways. He can't take both forks in the road. He is forced to make a choice. And he considers his options and decides that he's going to go the road less traveled by. But at this point in this man's life, he is forced to make a choice. And in the Sermon on the Mount... In the passage that we just read, Jesus has brought his listeners to a point, to a fork in the road where they are forced to make a choice. We haven't talked about it too much, I guess, throughout the, the, the course of this uh, several sermons that I've given. But it should be obvious to, to us that Jesus is our example in, in all that we do in our service to God. And he should be our example for those of us that have the privilege of getting up here and speaking from time to time. The Sermon on the Mount is filled with profound teaching and and wonderful ideas about life in the kingdom, but it also should be looked at as a master class of what an effective sermon is. And just as any good sermon should do, Jesus forces the listeners of his sermon to make a choice. He closes the sermon with a series of choices. Choices that we all have to make as we decide whether or not we are going to be citizens in the kingdom or citizens of the world. Jesus brings us to a fork in the road in the path of our lives and he presents us with three choices that we are forced to make. Three choices that all of us have to make on our own path that will determine if we are a disciple of Christ, we're a citizen of the world. So for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look at these three choices. 
The first choice that Jesus forces us to make is which path are you going to take? Which way are you going to go? Jesus says that there is one way to go, one path that you can take that many people will go. The entrance to that path is wide. The way is well-worn. It's like the first path that Frost described in his poem. Many people take that path because on the surface, it looks like the best way to go in this life. And so many people look at their lives in the direction that they want to go, the destination that they want to head, and they are seduced by the things of this world. Maybe they see their friends buying new homes, buying new cars, looking on Facebook and seeing all these things that people are posting and they see the materialism of the society that we live in, and they think, you know, that, that's what I want for my life. I want the new truck. I want the new house. I want the, the, the corner office with the big paycheck. And then if I get all those things, then finally I'll be happy. Finally I will have the American dream if I can have all of these cool toys and all these cool things. Or you young folks, and some of us, older folks, you see your friends going out to the party or going out to the bar, living it up and and thinking, you know what, everybody is doing it, everybody's going out, everybody's doing that, so it must not be too wrong, it can't be too bad, or we think that everyone around us is perhaps engaging in things like premarital sex, and we get tempted and we give in to our lust. You know, after all, everybody's doing it. Everybody, everybody's engaging in those sorts of things. It's normal, Mom. It's normal, Dad, to do those sorts of things. Even people look at the religious world and they see what's going on in, in the religious world in churches and they think, you know what? Well, lots of people are doing things like in, implementing things like instrumental music or changing the leadership structure of the church. They all can't be wrong, Jeff. Aren't we all just following the same God? Is there really any difference between Allah and God and Hinduism and all those sorts of things? Can't we all just coexist, Jeff? We see people become rich and popular and powerful, and we think, you know, why can't that be me? Why should I even bother with all of this Jesus stuff? You know, They're the ones getting all the the cool stuff in this life. They're the ones enjoying themselves. They're the ones having a good time. And I'm the one having to struggle with all these things. Why should I even bother? People can begin to think at times. And we begin to think sometimes like the psalmist in Psalms, the 73rd chapter. If you would, pick up your Bibles and we'll read a passage from there. I didn't put this on the screen because it's a little bit of a lengthy reading. We'll read Psalms, the 73rd chapter, in the first 15 verses of that chapter. Psalms, the 73rd chapter. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with falseness. They have more than the heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generations of thy children. Asaph, who was the writer of this particular song, looks out on the world and he thinks, you know, I know, I know that God's good. I know God loves me. I know all these things I'm supposed to do. But look at all these people out in the world. The wicked prosper. They, they don't face the same problems that I do. They're always at ease. And it doesn't look like God is doing anything about it. So why should I even bother following God? And I think that we can get like that sometimes. We begin to think, is it even worth the trouble? Is it worth doing what God says? I, I see what's going on in the world, and it looks like that's the easy path, and that's the way to go. But look at my life, and the struggles that I have to go through, and the, the pain that I have to deal with, and the trouble that I'm going through, and the stress that I have in my home, and the problems that I have in the workplace, and all these different things, and all the stuff that I have to deal with. Why do I have to deal with those sorts of things? The problem, though, is that we don't always think about what is at the end of that road. We don't think about ultimately where the path leads. We think about the easy road and the fun that we're going to have along the way, but we don't think about what is waiting for us at the end of the road. But Jesus tells us what the ultimate destiny is those of those that choose to follow through the wide gate and take that easy path. And he says that the end of that path leads to destruction. The man who dedicates his life to money and fame and power will ultimately find out that it was not worth it. Sure, you might have accumulated all that stuff. You might have gotten that corner office. He might have accumulated all this power and, 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 and fame and all the things that he ever thought that he ever wanted. But at what price? What corners did you have to cut? Who did you have to step on to climb that ladder? What lies did you have to tell? Was it worth your family? Was it worth your integrity? Was it worth your soul? The person that decides to follow the crowd and go down the path of sexual immorality might find momentary physical pleasure, but at what cost? Sexually transmitted diseases, emotional scars that build up from those sorts of things. The person who decides that their religion is going to follow the world will soon find themselves not serving God, 
but serving themselves, wanting to please their own desires and not God's. And the writer in Psalms realizes this. If you look back at Psalms, the 73rd chapter, verses 16 through 17, it says, When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God that understood I therein. And then skipping down to verse 27, it says, For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all of them that go a-whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. The path that the world takes leads to destruction. But it's not just physical destruction, but eternal destruction and separation from God in hell. And I think that we don't like to think about hell. We don't like to think about destruction. Some people would even say, why would a loving God send anybody to hell? If your God is so loving, why would he ever destroy someone like that? And if that's how you view God, you misunderstand God. You see, God... He doesn't just send anybody to hell. And you're saying, well, Jeff, you've messed up now. The Bible talks over and over about hell and what's going to happen there. What do you mean God doesn't send anybody to hell? No, I, I believe in hell. And I think there's going to be lots of people there. But there is not one soul... One person that di- that's going to be there in hell that didn't make the choice themselves to be there. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We choose to take the path that leads there. We choose the wide gate. We choose the easy path in this life. And that path that we choose can take us to eternal destruction and to hell. But God loves us enough to allow us to make that choice. And the choice is between the wide gate and the easy way that's leading to destruction and the narrow path, the way that few people choose. And that way leads to life. You see, there are lots of ways to destroy your life. There are lots of ways to go down that broad path, but there is only one way that leads to life, one way that leads to God. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is very clear about the path that you must take to reach God. He doesn't say that there are several ways. He doesn't say that there are options about which path you're going to take. He says that there is one way that leads to God, and that is through Jesus. Jesus is the only way to life. Jesus is the only way to God. Your money cannot buy your way to God. Your choice 
to fulfill your sinful desires won't lead to God. Going along with the crowd won't take you to God. Even your religion, if it does not follow Jesus and his word, won't lead you to life. There is one way to God, one path to follow, one gate to go through, and your choice to follow that path will make all the difference. It will determine your eternal destiny. It will determine if you spend an eternity in destruction in hell or eternal life in heaven. The next choice that we are forced to make is who are we going to follow? Who are we going to listen to? You can follow Jesus. You can listen to his words of life. You can follow his example for what it means to be a child of God. And it will lead you directly to the throne of God. Where one day you will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Welcome home. Or you can choose to follow someone or something else. You can choose to ignore the warnings of Jesus and follow a false prophet. And in the final day, you won't hear welcome home. Instead, you will hear the words that should chill you to the bone. Words that are heartbreaking if you hear them from God. If you choose to follow one of these false prophets, you will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. But what is a false prophet? You hear the word prophet uh, or prophecy, and, and we usually associate that with someone that's predicting the future or a prediction about something that's going to happen in, in the future. You know, you know, we spent a while on Wednesday nights here uh, studying the prophecies of the, the Messiah from the Old Testament, things that people said about the Messiah hundreds and, and in some cases thousands of years uh, before Jesus came onto the scene. But a prophet is more than someone that predicts the future. The word prophet comes from a Greek word that means spokesman. Someone that speaks on behalf of God. Someone that teaches the will of God. And in that sense of the word, those of us who get up here and and, and teach and preach uh, from time to time are prophets. We are declaring what the will of God is. The problem, though, is that not everybody who claims to be a prophet or a teacher of the will of God is actually someone that we should be listening to or following. And when I see things like this or or think about things like this, you might hear, you might see things like this, and you might immediately begin to think about someone like Joel Osteen. He's someone who teaches in front of thousands and thousands of people each Sunday. This morning, I turned on the, the, the TV for a little bit, was flipping through the channels, and, and on Channel 4 this morning, he was on there. And there were thousands and thousands of people in that church listening to him. And his messages are broadcast to millions and millions of people every day. And he makes a fortune selling books. And he wants to tell you every day on his broadcast and in his books that God wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy. And it breaks my heart to think that millions of people are being led 
right through the wide gate and down the path of destruction because of people like that. Or maybe you hear false prophet and you think of Muhammad. The Muslim religion would tell you that Muhammad was a prophet sent from God. And billions of people across this world have followed him and followed his teachings. And again, it breaks my heart to think about all of those people, all of these souls are headed to eternal destruction because of the false prophet that they have chosen to follow. And there are countless others that we can mention, people that are easily identifiable as false prophets. But Jeff, if it's so easy, you say it's easy to identify as false prophet, why are there millions and billions and billions of people following these people? Well, it, it might not be as, uh, always easy to identify them. Many times, they might come into you in sheep's clothing, like Jesus talked about there in Matthew 7. They appear on the outside as good people, people that had good things to say. You might, to a lot of people, you might hear this message of God wants us to be happy and healthy and blessed. He wants us to be joyful. So people swallow that message right up, right? Sounds good. I want to hear that. That's what I want in my life, so I'm going to listen to it, right? I mean, God wants me to be happy. God wants us to be blessed. That's true. God does want us to be happy. And he wants us to live a blessed life. And he wants us to be joyful. But people get mistaken on what that source of happiness and joy should be. But instead of shepherds leading their flocks, these men are like ravening wolves that are doing Satan's work to lead you away from God and towards destruction. They pervert the message of God. They distort the teachings of God and twist it and lead all of these people away from the path that leads to life. But the sad thing is it isn't just people like Muhammad or one of these health and wealth uh, preachers. Paul warned the Ephesian elders that men would rise up among them in Acts the 20th chapter. That should say Acts the 20th chapter, verses 29 through 30. There would be men that would rise up among them, among the elders of the church, and they would lead people away from God. Even Satan himself can appear as an angel of light. It talks about in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter there, where it says, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So how do you recognize who these false prophets are? How do you know if they come into you as as, uh, people in sheep's clothing? How do you recognize who these false prophets are? I think it's interesting that, that to notice what Jesus had to say about this, In the passage that we read this morning, we won't go back and read the whole passage, but if you look there at the end of this passage in the 20th verse, it says, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. He says that you will know them not just by the words that they speak, but by the fruit that they bear. If you look at, yes, their teaching, but also their lives at the fruit, at the results, you will be able to know if they are a false prophet. Well, Jeff, what fruit should we be looking for? Galatians, the fifth chapter, starting in the 19th verse, says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, 
adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. When you look at the life of someone... Do you see the works of the flesh? Or do you see the fruit of the Spirit? Those people that are bearing the fruit of the Spirit are those that are the true prophets of God. And those are people that we should be listening to and following. People that are following Jesus. Because ultimately that is the example that we should be following. But that leads to a very important question that we need to think about especially those of us that are teachers in this congregation or those of us that are in the leadership of this congregation or us as moms and dads, leaders in our homes, teaching our children about the will of God. What type of fruit are we bearing in our lives? Jesus is telling us to look at the fruit of someone's life to tell us, if that should be a person that we should follow. So when we look at our own lives, do we see the fruit of the Spirit? Do we see the things that God has told us to look for in someone that is worth listening to and following? Are we living a life that is worth following? And you might say, well, sure, Jeff, I I say all the right things. I even do lots of good stuff. I come to church. I get up here and preach. I've done many wonderful things for God. And we're like that person in the 22nd verse of Matthew 7. Remember, though, what Jesus said, not everyone that calls unto me, that calls me Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. How sad would it be if because of the fruit of our lives we lead our children away from God? How sad would it be if if we as teachers and leaders of this congregation led people away from God because of the fruit of our lives? Because we have let ourselves become false prophets. I pray that we don't do that. I pray that we follow the true prophet, Jesus, and that we live lives that show the fruit of the Spirit, the life of a disciple of Christ, so that one day when we come to the end of our path, it will lead us and those around us that we have been charged to lead to God. But Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount with one final choice that he forces his listeners and us today to make. And that is the choice of what you are building your life on. What is the foundation for your life? Jesus tells the crowd a story about a wise man. 
in Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses 24 through 25, where it says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Christ tells this story about a man who builds his house upon a rock. The man is smart enough to build his house upon a stable foundation. Something that wasn't going to shift and move. He built his house on something solid. Something he could count on. And when the storms came and the winds blew and the rain fell, the house stood strong because it was built on the rock. And Christ calls this man wise. Jesus then tells the crowd a contrasting story there in the 26th and 27th verse when he said, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus tells the crowd about a man who built his house on the sand. And we don't know why the guy decided to build his house on the sand. Maybe he got a good deal on the piece of land. Maybe he thought he was smarter than everybody else. And he, maybe he was an engineer who thought he could build something that, that wasn't going to fall. He could build it on the beach on the sand because he was smarter than everybody else. Or maybe, maybe it was all that he had. Maybe that was all, all the possessions that he had was that little piece of land. Or maybe he didn't know any better. For whatever reason, this guy decides to build his house on the sand. And when the rains came... And the winds blew and the rain fell. The house crashed. And Christ said, great was the fall of it. And Christ calls this man a fool. He says that the wise man, the man that built his house on the rock, was like someone who heard what Jesus had been teaching. But not only someone that heard what he had been teaching, but one that obeyed what he had heard. Someone that did what he had been teaching. The foolish man was the person that built his house upon the sand, was just like the wise man in one way. Both of them heard. Both of them heard what they were supposed to do. Both of them heard what Jesus had been teaching, but the foolish man didn't obey. He didn't live out what Jesus had been teaching. Both men heard, but only one obeyed. What are we building our spiritual houses on? Too often we build our lives upon the shifting sands of our careers and our possessions. We base and build our lives on our earthly relationships. We build our lives on our own self-righteousness and our own pride. And when those things change or when those things are taken away from us, when they shift like sand, then our lives come crashing down. And great is the fall of it. But if we build our lives on an obedient faith to the will of God, then we will never fall. Psalms, the 18th chapter, and the second verse says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Then in the 46th verse of Psalms 18, it says, The Lord liveth and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Our rock, our foundation, what lifts us up and supports us, 
what protects us and carries us through the storms of life isn't the shifting sands of physical or carnal things of this world. Our rock is the Lord and our obedient faith to his will. And if we will do that, if we will make that the foundation of our lives and of our homes, we will never fall. And we can thank God for the salvation that can be found only in Him. But the question is, which choice are you going to make? Are you going to choose to go through the narrow gate that leads to life or the wide gate that leads to destruction? Are you going to choose to follow the Word of God or the words of a false prophet? Are you going to build your life on the foundation of the rock or build your spiritual life on the shifting sands of this world? Those choices are going to determine your eternal destiny. And God loves you so much that He is going to allow you to make that choice. He doesn't force anyone to choose him he loves us and he allows us to choose and today he is giving you a choice perhaps you've never made the choice to become a child of god you've never submitted yourself to him in baptism you've never allowed your faith to move you to repent of your sins to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and enter enter into the watery grave of baptism. I urge you to make that choice today. It will change your eternal destiny. Perhaps you've never done that and would like to do that today. We'd be happy to help you with that. Perhaps your life has gotten off of the path that God wants you to go and you'd like to turn and repent from that and you'd like the prayers of the church. We'd be happy to do that also this morning. If there's anything we can do for you, please come as we stand and as we sing. The